0: Get eighty percent off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B Y T E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Scores, Matthews! What a bullet! And askin Matthews scores on the power play. Four long down to Ovechkin, he scores.
2: Alex Ovechkin in overtime. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night,
1: Toronto. <laughs>
0: Hello, everybody. It's time for another episode of Our Line Starts. I'm with Patrick Sharp and Keith Jones this week. Sharpie, uh, the rookie, you're making your debut.
3: Yeah, first time. I don't know. I thought podcasts were just audio, but we had hair and makeup and we're all dressed up, ready to go. So let's get into it. Thank God you're here.
0: (laughs) I mean, podcasting is different. You're in the media landscape now. This is a whole new thing for you.
3: Yeah, I'm going to have to get used to this. Um, They said we could swear now yeah. yeah a little natural me, the only but, one that has so far yeah so. we'll leave it at yeah. Mike being the only <laughs> one to swear I'll keep it I'm, clean
0: I'm surprised Jonesy hasn't yet no I don't I never swear that's right that's right all right well let's talk about what's coming up on tap on this episode we've got Roman Yossi gets paid indeed he did we're going to chat all about that new deal for the national predators Obie's candid comments on the Leafs do you think he hit a nerve with them Pierre Maguire chats with Julian Brisbois, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the guy's favorite memories of Halloween pranks. Because we've seen a couple of them throughout the NHL this week, and it's been fun to see. And I know you guys, uh, you, for one, have been very big on pranks over yes, your career. I so have, yeah. I'm sure you've been thinking I've long and hard about this you. one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Roman Yossi's new deal. He gets a long-term eight-year $72 million contract, average $9 million per year. Uh, this is a big, we've been waiting for this to happen. Do you think it was the right deal, Sharpie, in the end?
3: Yes and no. I mean, I don't think there's a better defenseman in the National Hockey League than Roman Yossi. There's a few that you could put in the same caliber of uh, him. He does it all offensively, defensively. He plays all situations. But for me, every one of these eight-year deals looks bad at the end, mm. and I don't want to put dampers on the Nashville Predators I would have signed him to eight years I would have given him his money uh, but I always just think hey let's check in in five six seven years at the landscape of that defense in Nashville but right now they look good don't they look like they look yeah. like a Stanley Cup contender and Yossi's kind of leading the way
1: yeah, and without having Suban's contract there they're able to do it so I, I like it I mean I agree with you And in, in year six seven and eight we might not see the same player but he is a unique talent and he does ex, uh, skate extremely well. So possibly his legs are going to be there. Normally the biggest drop-off is, there, is the speed of right. a player and how quickly he plays the game. Yossi may be one of the exceptions to that, but there's it's, not it, many. It's
3: not even about Roman Yossi. It's more these long-term contracts. At that age, 29, 30 years old, you start playing deep into your 30s. And look what happens all across the league. It's a 25 and under league. Mm-hmm. You try not to be as tied down as some teams are with those long-term contracts. But Roman Yossi... Uh, He's a pro difficult guy to play against and you know, maybe he withstands those eight years
1: and the worry is if you let him go that he's irreplaceable and you spend the next seven, eight years trying to find somebody that you could have had for Mm -hmm. a a great player for five or six years. And that's the dilemma that teams are faced with. So I get it. I understand it. Um, I think Nashville Predator fans are lucky to have him and he's been even better this year. Uh, when they've needed him to do more, he's been the guy that stepped up and done it and leading a very, still a very good defense, even though it's not as deep as it was.
0: Yeah, and the contract talks just appeared to not even get in the way of what he was doing. I mean, some guys, that can be a distraction. But it's also, by the way, it carries a no-trade movement. So at, at some point after five, six years, they do want to move him. They're going to have to go to Roman Yossi and say, where do you want to go? But I was actually surprised. I thought he was going to get more because you look at this makes him the third highest-paid defenseman per year when, he, yeah. when it goes into play. You've got Eric Carlson making 11. You've got... Drew Doughty making 11. I mean, I I thought he'd get somewhere in the 10 to 11 million range.
1: Yeah, and and that's why he's still in Nashville. If he elected to go out and hit the free agent market, he would have gotten even more. David Poyle has a pretty good way at uh, getting his message across to players and giving them the type of message that wants them to stay. Uh, he treats his players extremely well uh, it was fortunate to play for him for five years in washington and type of general manager even when he trades you that calls you afterwards to almost apologize to you that he's moving oh, wow. you. so i i do think that type of relationship matters and a veteran gm that's been there since the teams uh, started in nashville i think it's important i think it plays a part in why yossi signed
3: a top gm as well mm-hmm. it seems like every year he's improving that team in nashville I look back at the early part of my career when Barry Trotz was kind of running the show behind the bench there. They just had a hard-working, grinding team, strong defensively, and they've kind of kept that model. Two good goaltenders, a strong back end, and you sprinkle in forwards like Matt Duchesne, all of a sudden you got a, a Stanley Cup contender there. They looked pretty good last night. Yeah,
0: and they've been a contender for a couple seasons now. It looks like that's not going to change anytime soon. Plus, it's an unbelievable place to play, number one, in the arena. But then the city itself, I mean, so many people are moving to Nashville, not just hockey players. I mean, it's a great city to be in. It's up and coming, great restaurants, great energy. So, if you're an nhl that's one of the top cities you'd want to play in, right, Pretty, pretty good life, Yeah, right? Yeah, and, and not a bad deal. Part
1: of this league now is recruiting and having a city that plays players want to play in. Uh, Vegas is seeing mm-hmm. the rewards of that right now as well. So uh, Nashville, the city itself, has a lot to do with why a player like Roman Yossi elects not to go out and, and seek free agency uh, because it's an awesome place to play. Yeah. And they have proven that. The fans show up. The fans are into it. And the players love playing in front of a live, uh, a lively audience like that. The yeah. no-state tax helps.
0: <laughs> out. Oh, so, yeah. It does, yeah. And you look detail. at Carlson's yeah.
3: $11 million in, in, in San California. Jose, in California. Yeah. California Versus Yossi's $9 million. at the end of the day, those paychecks are going to be pretty close. Yeah,
0: same thing with Drew Doughty as well in California. So, All right, well, we like the contract. It's going to work out well for Roman Yossi and the National Predators. Meanwhile, the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have had a big spotlight on them. They always do every season, but this year it just seems even more heightened. And Now you've got the captain of the Washington Capitals, a man by the name of Alex Ovechkin, chiming in. He had this to say about what he thinks are the problems happening in that Leafs locker room.
3: For them, you know, they're still a still a young group of guys, and uh, you know, um, I hope they're gonna learn. But uh, you know, uh, again, uh, it's it's up to them how they want to do it, and uh, if they want to uh, play for itself, or if they want to win for, uh, if you want to win Stanley Cup, they have to uh, play differently.
1: Well, there's a veteran player who's gone through it himself, who takes a look over and sees himself, saws what he went through, and you know. It, it, Things like that always sting way more when it's right.
4: You know, how many times did, uh, did they lose at Pittsburgh before they finally broke through? So, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's the same situation, but, uh, you know, I'm sure you asked them on that side, uh, you know, repeatedly how many times over and over that, uh, you know, they were kind of ousted by, by one team and weren't able to, to kind of get over that hump, and then, you know, they obviously finally accomplished that.
0: So Alex Ovechkin's comments, you had Mike B- Babcock saying, you know, kind of agree with what he said. You've got Austin Matthews giving his perspective on it. I loved the comments from Ovi. I think it was a little bit blown out of proportion, you know, Sharpie, maybe yeah. that they it was taken the wrong way. I think he was just being honest of what his experience was and maybe that's what's happening with the Leafs. But what did you think of it?
3: I think I agree with you. When I read the comments, I thought, wow, this is a little bit controversial here. Ovi taking a shot at the Leafs. Uh, Austin Matthews kind of firing back. But when you watch the interview, there's no – harm done there that's a guy in Ovechkin that's kind of speaking the truth he lived it more than anybody year after year he was a top player in the NHL and then you know two weeks into playoffs he was jumping on a plane and going to the world championships year after year Uh, finally got the message and now you watch Ovi play in the playoffs they won the cup two years ago he was dominant and then last year they lost to Carolina but remember how good he was in that seven game Mm -hmm. series Mm -hmm. he uh, he comes to play in those big moments Uh, he's kind of Taking the foot off the gas offensively a little bit in those big moments. He buys into the team game. Uh, his teammates can say the same thing in Washington. But those are the steps you have to take to get to the net, that next level in Toronto. You know, have they had a team that could go all the way? They're playing Boston in the first round every year. They're always a top team. It's a difficult road. But uh, what was most interesting was Babcock, the head coach of the team, kind of letting his players know, hey, this is a guy that's lived it and done it, so let's, uh, let's do it the right
1: way. It, Ovi must, in his mind, see a team in Toronto that is a potential threat and good enough to win a Stanley Cup. At least, if they're not there yet, very close to doing it. Otherwise, he wouldn't even make those comments. So, it's actually a, a compliment to where he thinks the Leafs are in their evolution. And I do believe he looks back on his own career and mm-hmm. thinks about how many good Capitals teams he was on that fell short and so much of it short because you know better than anybody who won three Cups. It isn't necessarily who you play. It's how you match up against the team that you're playing. And the Leafs have ran into a Boston Bruins team that's going to beat most teams. Uh, A very difficult path to go through. If they're going to get through Boston and get through a team like Washington, who they also met previously in the playoffs, at least recently... Um, they're going to have to play a different brand of hockey when the playoffs roll around. So I'm not sure that O V wants to give them too much information. Yeah. I think that's the big reason why Mike Babcock is so thrilled that uh, O V had those comments.
3: you got to love those morning skates in Toronto too, right? The f- room just floods with media members. Every player on the team's got to answer questions about something, so you better be ready. When you go play the Leafs to answer the media in the morning, because comments can blow up like that.
1: When you had an, an opponent that you thought was close to achieving what you guys had done, say after you won your first or second Cup, were you providing them the information? Uh, would you, if you did, would it be kind of a backward, backhand slap to them, or?
3: Uh, I was always more complimenting what we did, pumping our own tires up yeah. a little bit. But we were in a similar situation, 2008-9. We just couldn't get over the hump with the Detroit Red Wings, and they were the top team. In the west for a lot of years and it seemed like just when we got some momentum going uh, we couldn't get over the hurdle of beating the wings and even when we won that cup in 2010 we didn't have to play the wings and who knows what would have happened if we did didn't play him in 2011 or 12 but in the stanley cup playoff run in 2013 we eventually beat them in the in the second round of the playoffs and that was like one of the biggest series that I've ever played in. I mean, teammates can say the same thing. Seabrook scores the Game 7 overtime winner, come back from 3-1 in the series, and it was like that weight is lifted off your chest all of a sudden. And even though we have two Stanley Cups, we finally slayed the Dragon in the Detroit Red Wings. So I agree with you. It's not always who you play, it's who you don't play.
0: Do you think Ovi really cares, Jonesy? Like I, I don't even think he cares what Toronto thinks or if he thinks they're good enough to beat the Capitals, that say, down the road for a chance to win a Stanley yeah, Cup. Uh, I think he's just speaking his mind. He and is.
1: And I, if you read his comments, I agree with Sharpie, you would think that he was kind of rubbing it in little a little gamesmanship bit. But when maybe? you see him speaking, he's just talking yeah. openly to an extremely educated hockey fan base that asks very good questions. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I, I do believe that Ovechkin was just being honest. I, I don't think he worries about a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, I don't think he yeah. cares, he cares too much about is. the
0: Toronto Maple It's belief. a good answer.
1: His answer's a, a truthful answer. Yeah. And but again the Maple Leafs team that he played last night you know the Caps eventually won the game um, is not a team with their captain in the lineup and Tavares when he Mm -hmm. returns I think he may have a little bit more to say to in regards to what that team needs to do and I think he's a guy that recognizes maybe even more than some of the younger guys what needs to happen
3: Yeah, it makes a big difference when Tavares is in the lineup those matchups are way differently but hey It's a good opportunity for a guy like Austin Matthews, who kind of fired back at Ovechkin, to show that he can handle those top-line minutes against the other team's best players. We know he can score. We know he's going to lead the league in goals maybe this year, if not in the coming years but can he be out there when the game's on the line? Do you want him on the ice in the D zone for that big face-off? And without John Tavares, Matthews moves up and he's that guy right now. So it's a good test for the Leafs.
0: Yeah, I don't know about that locker room without Tavares right now. I think there's a lack of leadership. You forget that Patrick Marlowe was in that locker room for the last two seasons too. And he was a huge, calming, kind of fatherly-type veteran presence in that locker room, helping those guys, one, keep their mouth shut. I don't think Austin Matthews should have even chimed in on what Ovi said. But... Yeah, but
1: he has no choice because the media is going to ask him that question. They're just going to keep bringing up until they eventually wear him down into yeah. submission. Yeah, and they, an they will up so there. I, I, I don't think I, I don't blame him for answering the question the way he did. And he answered the question with the way he played the game. He had a very strong mm-hmm. game. Picked up a couple of goals and an assist along the way. He played a real emotional game. You could tell that it was already mentioned to him before the game started because he definitely had a burr going there. So. Yeah, he was good. Real good.
0: Speaking of good, real good, we've seen some unbelievable goals this season. And I, I feel like I don't remember the goals being scored like this in years yep. past, past. It's almost like guys are trying what they would try in street hockey or you know on the ice with their friends on a Saturday afternoon and I mean it's just Svechnikov's goal was ridiculous yep, it was lacrosse type it's,
1: it's a byproduct of the new rules mm-hmm. and Sharpie always talks about you have to get to the inside to score and now there you have a willingness to do that because you're not going to get your head taken off when, when I played and, at, and I know when Sharpie did as well uh, maybe not as much as when I was playing, if you got to those high-traffic areas and you looked down to put the puck through your legs and shoot the puck, yeah. you were not getting up. Yeah. I mean, you were going to get rocked. And now the players are much more educated on it. Yeah. And the league has done a great job of driving home the fact that you know you can't hit up high, you can't hit in the head. It was, it was like your mistake when you got hit yeah. in, in that position. It was your fault for trying to, to even attempt something like that back in the day and now it's going to happen more frequently
3: i noticed it at the end of my career it was i entered the league coming out of college doing what you want to do as a player most guys that play in the nhl were good at every level going up i was okay in college and then when i got to the pro level it was kind of beaten out of me by coaches chip the puck in in the neutral zone no turnovers at the blue line chase after it play that safe game and now that's a bad play my last few years in hockey that's like turnover when you chip it into the corner and skate after i think it the fancy moves that we're seeing, the between the legs, the scooping of the puck, I think there's a big YouTube influence on that as well. You're seeing a lot of these guys copy what they see, mimic what mm-hmm. they see on YouTube. Patrick Kane, for example, you guys remember when Bauer did the promotional video, Kaner was stick handling through it, just yeah. a, yep. center ice yep. full of yep. pucks, and everybody was blown away at how fast it was, and it was, and you got six, seven, eight-year-olds doing this on their spare time, and... Fast forward five years, they're doing it better than Patrick Kane can do it. So you're seeing the skill level just shoot right through the roof. I think part of it is they're protected now much like NFL quarterbacks. I don't want to draw too many comparisons to that, but those guys are protected as well, and passing numbers are going through the roof. I think it's great for the league. The more we can show those fancy goals, the
1: better. And there's skills coaches that every player has, individual skills coaches that they work with in the offseason, and now teams are hiring Mm. those skills coaches. So now, especially the teams that have a bigger pocketbook, they're out there getting the best skills coaches that are available, and there's days in practice where, It's just skills-related practice entirely. I would have left the ice. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I hated to try to work on that because I was a a type of player that wanted to eliminate the skilled player. (laughs) I wanted to do whatever I could to make sure that that guy wasn't going to make me look bad. And there was a lot of veteran players that were like that they didn't want guys coming in and doing all the things that they're doing today. So it's refreshing. It's great. It makes for great highlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't just have yeah, we, to, love it. we don't just have to show shootout goals to, you know, entertain people with great goals. It's all about goals that are happening at even strength. So
3: here. you're not getting a resume together to be a skills <laughs> yeah, coach. Yeah, no. Skills coach <laughs> things
1: not happening. I mean, buddy.
0: you have to have a lot of confidence though to be able to pull that off mm-hmm. in a game, right? Sharpie? I mean, it, for these guys to be scoring goals like that, you have to have a little bit of a, you know, swagger about you and I mean, Patrick Kane, we know, can do, we've been seeing him do it for years and years. But when you've got a guy like Svechnikov and Sonny Milano, who we yeah. saw the other day, I mean, these aren't guys that you're used to seeing do this move.
3: No, just about everybody can do that move now. And it's, that's the scary thing about it is in practice, you see the skill level of these guys scooping up pucks and twirling around like a lacrosse stick. And it's only a matter of time before we start seeing this on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. I really believe yeah. it. It's going to become a move in the league where guys can scoop it. We saw... Forsberg from Nashville do it last year against the Hawks. I believe. No, sorry, Dallas Stars. He went around the defenseman full speed, avoided a hit, and tried to scoop it. Didn't score, but he tried to do it at full speed. If that would have gone in, that would have been the best goal I ever saw. So we're going to start seeing more of it, and I think it's a good thing for the league.
1: Yeah, and again, more time is being put aside for the players to work on those things. And that was never the case before. So yeah, it's gonna to continue to happen and it becomes a real difficult thing to defend against as well for the players that are trying to keep the puck out of the net, including goaltenders. It's a big challenge to come up with creative ways to stop the guys that are beating it's them. It's funny
3: how things change though. Not too long ago, Joel Quenville was coaching us, it was two thousand and nine or ten, and Christopher Stieg was standing at the side of the net, covered by a player. Puck came to him and all he had to do was go between the legs and shoot it. He got a shot on goal, it was a great play. He wasn't being a hot dog. He wasn't being fancy. And Joel, behind the bench, Mm -hmm. lost his mind. (laughs) He said he never wants to see that stuff again. I mean, that was eight, nine years ago, ten years ago. So... Now you're being applauded for it and guys are scoring and making plays doing that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to see how fast the game changes. Uh,
1: I had uh, Joel as an assistant coach when I was in Colorado and Mark Crawford was the coach who ironically now is running the defense in Chicago so after Joel left. But I tried to move like through my <laughs> legs once and Mark Crawford blew the whistle. He goes, that's a section 22 move. And I'm like, what's that mean? He goes, you try it again, you'll be in section 22 <laughs> oh, no. for the next game. That's a, it's an absolute fact of the way. So everything was... You know, pushed the other way. Yeah. Especially if you are a grinder that mm-hmm. was supposed to, you know, hit. And the old saying, when a crusher becomes a rusher, he soon becomes an usher. That, <laughs> was, that was kind of driven into you if that's the way you played the game. Funny. So it's good that they open it up. Yeah. Like you now.
0: A lot of changes in the game, and uh, that's affecting some of the veteran players we've seen this week. Mark Stahl was a healthy scratch for the first time in his career for the New York Rangers when they faced the Lightning earlier in the week. Uh, Brent Seabrook has now sat two straight games as we record this, and uh, that is not good news for the Hawks when you've got a $6.5 million defenseman sitting upstairs. Uh, we've had, we've just seen it lately, and I mean, Sharpie, there comes a point, and I know you went through this, but in a player's career, where you have to accept your role. Uh, Brent Seabrook, I, I know based on his comments, and you can speak to this, but hasn't really. He thinks he can still play at that high level, and he's got four more years left on this long-term contract, a no-trade clause. So the Hawks are really, you know, strapped with him at the moment. But I mean, what do you make of all these healthy scratches, and what that says about where the game is right now?
3: Something happens when you turn. 30 33 34 maybe that if you have a bad start a stretch of bad games everybody's quick to just write you off that you can't play in the league anymore and these guys that we're mentioning that we're seeing in their mid-30s sitting out for the first time in their career they can still play in the league but everybody's so quick to get to that younger younger player it's a 25 and under league it's uh, the salary cap has an influence on that the comments that Seeb's made as far as He still thinks he can play. What else do you want him to say? You know, Mm -hmm. I would say the same thing. I still think I can play in the league right now. I've been on the studio for two years. But you never lose that competitive um, fire as a player. Uh, You're going to see it more and more. We talked about the opening of the show, those eight-year contracts. Roman Yossi, right now, to me, is the best defenseman in the league. Let's check in in year seven or eight. Maybe he's not Mm -hmm. playing every single night. So it sucks. I went through it in my own personal career, my final year in Chicago. I didn't play a whole lot down the stretch. I understood that. Uh, I was excited about retiring in Chicago, but at the same time, it it, uh, it stings a little bit when you're talking about great players like Brent Seabrook, Mark Stahl. These guys have had incredible careers, and now they're watching from the press box. It's not easy on anybody.
1: I, I was lucky at the end of my career because I, I still had two years left on my contract, and I had another injury to my knee. And believe me, the team was so excited when they found out that it was a career-ending injury. <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said about it. Like, they, you become... There used to be what we called survivors and you didn't want a team with a lot of guys that were just surviving and prolonging their career Uh because they had a different incentive than the guys, the younger players that were coming up. And normally it meant you lost the speed to which you played the game at. And I think it's more evident now than it's ever been before because the game has become so much quicker. Uh, Those players normally didn't have contracts that said this guy's a six million dollar a year player and here's where he slots in under our salary cap, and he needs to play at that level because that's how important he is to our team based on how much he makes. So it's really hard to look past that now. So even though a player like, in this case, if it's Brent Seabrook, maybe he's playing like a $3 million player now, mm-hmm. and that's he's sufficient as, for most teams, yeah. but he is slotted as yeah. the, you know, the 6, 7, whatever the dollar figure is, and then you start looking at the term, and it becomes even worse than it really is in reality. And a, a young coach or a coach that's not necessarily uh, dealt with things like this before, it's its a hard job for him because he has to give this message to the player, hey, you're not playing, which is always difficult, and then see how the room reacts to that. Because here's a key component of Stanley Cup championship teams that without his leadership, I don't know if he get past Detroit the, in mm-hmm. the year that you're talking about. There were so many key moments that he helped with that organization that everybody looks to him in the locker room as well. So it's, it's, it's a bigger problem there than any of the other ones that I'm, I'm looking at because he was so important to the success yeah. of the Chicago Blackhawks. The
3: three cups. I think what's bothering Siebes in Chicago more than anything is how he's being portrayed in the city from yeah. the fans. Yeah. You know His relationship with the team, with the players in that locker room, he's fine. He's going to be the great teammate that he's always been throughout my career. I never played with you, Jonesy, but Brent Seabrook is the best teammate I ever had, and I'm not the only one that will say that. What's another change that we're seeing in the league is players are getting paid for their potential now. They're coming out of their entry-level deals. Hey, this guy might score 30, 40, 50 goals. Let's give him all this money and hope he lives up to it. Siebes, the fans need to remember in the city of Chicago that he's earned that money. In relative terms, in the National Hockey League world, it's a lot of money, but three-time Stanley Cup champion, built that organization up since 2005 until now to what it is. So, you know, sometimes when you see those front-loaded, heavy salary contracts with lots of term on them, uh, you, you kind of just tip your cap and say, good job, Siebs. For, it, thanks for all the years.
1: And it really goes back to what you were saying about the Yossi contract. I, and I think that's where you become concerned about term and when players have turned 30 and what happens at the end of these contracts. And we've seen it multiple times. Mm-hmm. But I think general managers at the time, they know it. Yeah. They know what's going to happen down the road, but they're in a position where if they don't sign this player, they're, it's going to be very yeah. difficult. Okay. And to just
3: to wrap up on Siebs, it kind of hits home with me because I know him so well and I'm living in Chicago, but what, what do you want Stan Bowman to do a couple years ago? You want Siebs to walk out the door? There's been a history in Chicago, and we work with one of them in JR of star players leaving Chicago and going to be stars elsewhere. So Brent Seabrook's one of those guys that nobody's going to wear number seven in Chicago when he's done. They took care of him and now everybody wants to beat him up with a couple years left. Yeah, and I'm
0: curious because you do have the perspective of how challenging it is to deal with that scrutiny every single day, and I know he's dealt with it from last season, and it's a big media market, Chicago, Boston, New York, Philly. Uh, You're going to hear in these markets when you play. That's what you sign up for when you play in these great sports cities, but he's hearing it every single day. Whether or not he's reading about it in the papers, it's the same question at his locker. He knows there's – how hard is that just – as an athlete to deal with on a day-to-day basis when you know you're not playing the way you want to play, but you're listening to it every day from the media? I
3: think it depends who you are as a player. It affects everybody differently. Uh, I loved the big market when I was a good player. When I was going to All-Star games and winning Stanley Cups, it just fed my confidence and my ego, and it made me an even better player. Uh, and then when things started to turn in my career, I was happy to be in Dallas, in Texas, when we had one beat writer covering the team. They didn't have to document my struggles that second year in Dallas, so... Uh, You see free agent signings. A lot of guys pick cities based on those big media markets. Uh, To me, it comes down to the individual. Some guys like to hide in a quiet city. That's when they thrive at their best. Other guys want that spotlight. So, seebs isn't a guy that's shying away at all. And, from the spot
1: and, and sometimes it's the position that you play on the team. Like every, if you're the goaltender, everyone sees it. If you're a centerman and you're wearing the C on your jersey, everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. If you're a defenseman, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. Yeah. So that Collecting becomes a big issue a team as well. Can't score goals right. right now. Yeah. For a winger, you can. There's ways to get around. It. Yeah. I mean, it's your
3: mistakes it, aren't as evident as it, other
1: guys. It's a fact. Yeah. I mean, and that's why centermen are normally paid the most and gold. I mean yeah. it's all relevant but at the same time there is certain spots on the ice that you don't yeah. you're not as noticeable mm-hmm. and you're not as important so unfortunately you liked the big spotlight didn't you? no I, I liked it <laughs> I just didn't get it
0: yeah. <laughs> I tried. that's awesome all right we're gonna talk about Halloween pranks coming up in a little bit we've got more to come but the Tampa Bay Lightning have been up and down so far this season a very interesting storyline for them Pierre McGuire had a chance to sit down for a wide-ranging conversation with Lightning general manager Julian Breezeblatt
2: Well, Julian Breesbois, the head of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Imagine that. Thank you for coming in.
4: My pleasure, Pierre.
2: Looking forward to it. This is your second year running the Tampa Bay Lightning. How is that going?
4: I'm enjoying it a lot. First and foremost, I I enjoy the people I get to interact with every day, the people that uh, we're we're in the trenches together, the coaches, the players, uh, the other members of management. Uh, We have the best owner in sports in Jeff Vinnick, so It's a really good job. Let's not kid ourselves. Being general manager of an NHL team, it's a really cool job, and uh, I feel like I have the best one right now working with the people I get to work with. Speaking of cool, you grew up in the province
2: of Quebec. You worked for the Montreal Canadiens. You did some work in the city of Quebec, Quebec City. They don't have an NHL team anymore. We'll get there later on in the interview. What's it like to live in Florida being a guy from Quebec?
4: Uh, I I can only speak for living in Tampa because Florida is a big state and I'm sure it's different in Jacksonville or Tallahassee than it is in Tampa and Tampa is different from Miami but for a a guy like myself married with two young kids uh, it's the quality of life is really top-notch it it would be hard to beat the schools are good it's safe uh, the commutes are easy uh, the fan support has been tremendous uh, uh, the, the, the community has really rallied behind the lightning over the years. Uh, the number of ice rinks have grown. The, the quality of the youth hockey programs has really gone up. So um, uh, my wife and I feel really priv- privileged that we get to, to live in Tampa and, and raise our children there.
2: You know, you talked about Jeffrey Vinnick before. I agree with you. I think he's the best owner in the National Hockey League. I think he's the best owner in all of professional sport. I really do. I had a chance to interview with him many years ago, and I just respect him very much. What has he
4: enabled you to do? to grow your brand as a leader? Well, ultimately, as the leader, like his job, I think, is to uh, provide us with a vision, uh, objectives, and then provide us resources and support. And uh, I know that every time I come to him with ideas, uh, which usually come with a price tag, (laughs) he usually has to (laughs) dig into his pocket to to support my ideas. Um, He's been tremendous. And, And even going back to when Steve Eisman was our general manager, uh, and I got the, the chance to work with him for uh, eight years. Uh, uh, Jeff has always been super supportive. Uh, ultimately, what he wants is to bring the Stanley Cup back to Tampa, and that's, that's, that's my mandate. That's what uh, I'm in charge of trying to do, help our NHL team bring the Cup back to Tampa.
2: You've worked with some fascinating people. Let's just talk about Bob Ganey. What did you learn from Bob? <sighs>
4: Bob is a special human being. And on top of being the great uh, hockey player that he was and the fabulous general manager that he was, uh, he is probably the wisest man that I have ever met. Um, and I think he acquired that wisdom to going through a lot of things in his personal life that uh, the price tag was very heavy. Uh, but just an incredible leader. Uh, everyone in Montreal would have gone through a wall for him, uh, from players to support staff to people in management. He was just... Uh, he cared about all of us, uh, he supported us, he mentored me, uh, he allowed me, he gave me the keys to our RHL farm team, uh, and he essentially, I remember he symbolically kind of handed me keys just like I'm doing now, I said, hey, you got the keys now, go compete against the other guys, show them what you can do, and that, that was, I was fired up, I was young, I was excited about the opportunity, and while I worked in that capacity, sometimes he knew I was about to make a mistake. And he let me make the mistake so I could learn. And that takes a special guy to be able to do that, especially in a, in a market where you're scrutinized as much as we were in Montreal. It um, takes a special kind of leader to do something like that.
2: So after you made that mistake or two or three or whatever it was.
4: Too many to count. No, but how did, <laughs> how did he talk to you? Um, I think he just knew that I had learned. I learned from it. He, there was never, there's never I told you so, that never came up. Uh, I don't think he's ever used those words in his life. Uh, he just knew that that was going to make me a better leader down the road and he wants to surround himself with strong people and uh, the the better I got at my job, the better I could be in, in helping him do his job and uh, he had that, that long-term vision uh, for the organization and just a... I'll never be able to repay him for everything he did for me when I, I got a chance to work for him because I was just a young guy with very little to offer at first, and he allowed me to grow into a, a hockey executive, uh, and that led to the opportunity of going and working with Steve Eiserman and kind of rebuilding the Tampa Bay Lightning organization over a number of years, and that opportunity led to the opportunity I have right now of being the general manager of the, of the, uh, of the Lightning.
2: So you brought up Steve Eiserman's name.
4: Bob Gainey played for the Peterborough Peets. He's a yeah, hockey hall of famer. Both have, yeah, they both Steve
2: Hockey Hall of Famer, Peter Burrow-Pete. What
4: did you learn from Steve? Uh, Steve Steve had a really uh, clear vision for what he wanted the Lightning to be from day one. Uh, and I, I didn't have that vision necessarily when I when we started working together, but he knew this is this is the type of team I want, this is the style of play I want, uh, and he stuck to it. Uh, even when we didn't necessarily have the players to play that style, he was looking long-term. Eventually, if we're going to... If we're going to have the type of success that he envisioned for our organization, we needed to bring skill in. We needed to bring guys that could play with pace. And, um, and we drafted accordingly and we developed accordingly and we've kind of built a team that today looks like the team that he had envisioned way back into uh, 2010. I would agree
2: on <clears throat> excuse me, everything you just said. One thing that a lot of people don't know about you is you're a trained attorney, but you're a master negotiator. You know the numbers and you know the league bylaws unbelievably well. So the Stephen Stamkos contract is fascinating because there were a lot of teams that wanted him, and there were a lot of teams that offered him more money, but yet you guys were persuasive enough. It never became a public uh, display of negotiation. How did you manage to do that on such a high-profile player?
4: Well, again, a lot of the credit should go to Steve Eisman. He was the general manager. He was managing that file. He took the lead on that file. Um, And and I'd say half the credit goes to Steve. The other half goes to Stephen uh, because... uh, there was never ill will uh, amongst any of the parties. Uh, I think uh, Stammer wanted to stay in Tampa, and you know, eventually he did stay in Tampa because he wanted to stay in Tampa, and we wanted him to stay. But in a cap world, uh, I always say when we make player uh, personnel decisions, it's the player, the person, and the contract. And we agreed on the player, we agreed on the, the person. We knew they were superstars, like Steven is a superstar human being. He's a superstar player. The contract's just as important, though. It had to make sense, and it took uh, a long time for us to agree on a number, but ultimately um, Stammer wanted to stay in Tampa, and you know he's had the chance to be on a really good team ever, ever since and, and, and knock at the door of, uh, of a cup every year because he was willing to leave some money on the table to allow us <coughs> to keep as many good players as possible. And he was the first one, and many players f- have followed in his footsteps since. As soon as he did, Victor Hedman did, and many have since then, Uh, And it's allowed us to keep probably a bigger nucleus of really good players uh, than we otherwise would have been able to.
2: You are a good baseball player, better than a hockey player. Yes. Um, But because of your attorney status, you did arbitration for both baseball and for hockey before you really got to the managerial level. Take us through a baseball arbitration, because I've been in hockey arbitration. Are they similar?
4: uh... they're very different actually for a number of reasons starting with the antitrust exemption that major league baseball has so not to get too technical but uh... at when we did salary arbitration for major league baseball teams major league baseball was very involved in the process Mm -hmm. whereas when we do salary arbitration cases uh, on behalf of nhl teams the nhl isn't really involved so that was the first difference uh... i actually was able to uh, I ended up attending an, uh, a Major League Baseball General Managers meeting before I ever attended an NHL GM meeting. Uh, and I remember uh, I was in, uh, in Virginia near Dallas airport. And ma- there's an attorney for Major League Baseball there. And he had every name of every cyber arbitra- uh, arbitration eligible Major League player. And they were ranked from one to about 200. And I remember Derek Jeter was one, Andrew Jones was two. And it kind of went down the list. And, uh, and everyone commented on everyone's cases. Hockey is very different. Hockey is, there's an attorney, there's a club, and we kind of work in smaller groups, and we're, we're not necessarily interacting with the other teams to see what they're doing or how, how their cases are going. So that was a big difference. The process is also very different. In Major League Baseball, you have three arbitrators, and it's a majority decision, and they don't have to justify their decision. And it's an either or, or. So either they give 100% uh, credence to what the player requested or they end up, G- agreeing 100% with what the clubs su- su- submitted. In hockey, the arbitrators have the power to go anywhere in between, uh, and they have to justify their decision. So there are pros and cons to both system, uh, both systems. Um, but it was, I-, I think, having had the chance to do, sour arbitration for a Major League Baseball team, allowed us to become better at representing NHL teams over the years as well.
2: Are they as mean-spirited in baseball in those arbitrations as they are in hockey? Because sometimes those hockey ones can get pretty personal.
4: I think it's the same. It always depends on, on who the actors are, who the general manager is, who the player is, who the agent is. That's, that's what will dictate the tone, I think, uh, of the hearing, whether, it, whether it's an NHL hearing or a Major League Baseball hearing. Most of the time, and I've, I've lost track, I've probably worked on 60 or 70 uh, NHL cases, maybe more, only one really was acrimonious. Most of the time, uh, like, you're going to have to work with that player again. That player is going to have to work with that GM again. Uh, there's usually a mutual respect there, and it, it kind of comes back to what I said earlier. If the team submitted um, a qualifying offer to the player, making it eligible for salary arbitration, that means they like the player, they like the person. Otherwise, they wouldn't. And the disagreement really is only about the contract at that point. How much
2: pressure are you feeling right now with your team, knowing that the expectation is so large and last year the
4: disappointment was so heavy? I don't know. Like, I, the, I see it more as opportunity, and every year has been the same. We go into the season knowing that we have a good team uh, and that we will have the opportunity to challenge for a Stanley Cup. The issue is we're not the only ones, uh, and I, I would think that this year in particular there's probably more teams that are... Quite on paper, considered Stanley Cup contenders, and I've been in the league since uh, the year 2000. I don't remember a year where there was so much parity and so many good teams, uh, and this is going to play itself out. Some teams are going to have injuries, and some teams are going to get on hot streaks, and other teams are going to have a, a tough... If you get through a tough patch early in the year, you can, you can work your way out of uh, contention, although... St. Louis might disagree with that <laughs> considering how, yeah. how their season turned out last year, or even Carolina, who, who struggled early in the year last year and had a, a fabulous run down the stretch. Um, but this year in particular, I just feel going into the season, there they were probably more high-end teams than ever before. The Tampa
2: Bay Lightning in 2004 were the first non-traditional hockey market. I mean, Dallas Dallas could, be yeah. in there. Dallas could be in there, too, but I'm talking about Florida, California. Dallas had a history of hockey with the Dallas Blackhawks, Toronto far, uh, Maple Leafs farm team. But I'd say there's pressure on Tampa. Tampa won the cup in 0-4, and you've been back to the final. You played Chicago, didn't win that one,
4: great Chicago team. Do you feel that? Do you feel that you've got to step up again? Again, I, I think it's more opportunity. We see a lot of the '04 4 players. A lot of them still live mm-hmm. uh, in Tampa. Dave Anderchuk still works guys. for us. <laughs> yeah, it's a, like I said earlier, Like the quality of life is, is incredible. Uh, they should want to stay. Yeah. Uh, Stan Netchkas is around. He's involved in youth hockey. Dmitry Afanasenkov is around. Uh, Vinila Cavalier is around. Um, we're trying to write our own history. Like the, this year's team, it, it gets a fresh start. It's a new team. We're not the same team as last year. There's a turnover in terms of players, and even the returning players, they're not the same player they were a year ago. Like they, you know, they've uh, got an extra year of training, an extra year of experience, uh, an extra year of lessons learned along the way. Some, some by getting swept by Columbus in the first round last year. Uh, so this is a new team, and it, gets, it has the opportunity to write its own story and write its own ending. So I look at it more as an opportunity for us to, to win something than, than, than us you know chasing the pass or, or trying to defend our status as being a contender year in, year out.
2: Julian, one of the things that was really, I thought, ha- handled very well was the Marty St. Louis situation and when he left Tampa. How difficult, take us behind the scenes, how difficult was that whole situation
4: when he got moved from Tampa, obviously to New York? I, I, 100% of the credit goes to Steve Eisenman, uh in, in, in regards to how that matter was handled. Um, it was very difficult. Uh, you know, in our, in our business, we're, we have to make decisions, and we make decisions based on the hands that we've been dealt more often than not. Uh, Steve was dealt a really tough hand, uh, and he managed it as well as I think anyone could have and All the credit goes to Steve for how he he had a vision for the end game. Uh, he stayed completely irrational, even though it was i 'm sure emotionally draining um, and ultimately he he was able to. Uh, uh, to come up with a trade that really pushed our organization forward. So we took what looked like a, a, a tough hand, and Steve was able to turn it into a positive. And our organization really took a step forward uh, from that point on. Ryan Callahan was exactly the type of player we needed to come in. And we got some really good high-end picks, so some first-round picks out of that trade as well that, uh, that we used later on, actually, to get McDonough and J.T. Miller. And, uh, and all the credit really goes to Steve Eisman for that trade.
2: You look at Tampa Bay as a hockey market, it's it's like a must-see place to go watch a hockey game now. You know, Nashville is another one of those places. Mm-hmm. Vegas yeah, is another yeah, one of those yeah. places. What went in? Because I remember going to Tampa early on, and it was not like that. When I was coaching the league, guys were taping their sticks under palm trees. Now, all of a sudden, it's, it really is. It's a must-see destination for hockey.
4: How did you get to that level? You know, again, I had nothing to do with that. Uh, that was all our business ops people. That's Jeff Vinnick. That's Ty Laiwecki, who's our former CEO, who is now CEO in Seattle. Steve Griggs, our current CEO, who came in at the same time or thereabouts as, as Ty Laiwecki and Jeff Vinnick. Uh, again, they had a vision for how, and really it started with Jeff Finnick, because I remember my first meeting with Jeff Finnick, he was telling me about his vision for the organization and why he bought the team, and ultimately, he wanted to use it as a vehicle to do good in the community and to make the lives of the people in the community better than it actually is right now. and that looked that sounded to me like pie in the sky, to be honest a little bit, I said, that sounds great, but I don't know that you can actually do that. I'll go back to working in the hockey ops while you guys work <laughs> on that. But eight, nine, ten years later, they, they were able to do it. And, and what happened, I think Jeff and the organization gave so much back to the community through the community hero, the $50,000 donation at every game to a, a community hero to, to give to the charity of his choice or her choice. The 4,000 hours of community service that the organization commits to doing during office hours in the community every year, and we largely surpassed the 4,000 hours. I think last year we were probably seven or eight thousand hours uh, of community service during business hours. Um, all the donations that the Vinick, uh, both family, both Jeff and Penny, have done in the community uh, to different charities, the involvement on different boards, uh, that ultimately the pitch to the community was: the organization does so much that you as a business leader need to support us. It's your civic duty to buy season tickets. And they were very cheap at the time. uh, And people started buying tickets. And then we started having a little bit of success making it into the playoffs. And people started coming to games. Because at first they had tickets, they weren't coming to games. Then they had tickets, started coming to games when we started to win a little bit more. And then they fell in love with the sport. They fell in love with uh, with the team. And now the number of ice rinks has doubled in the last 10 years in the area and it, and and we're short we need more ice. Um, both my sons are they're 12 and 10 they both play peewee. This year there're two AAA teams in the state, there're 10 AA teams, there're 24 A teams and a bunch of rec leagues. There's a high school league now where teams are fighting for national championships. So it's really grown and yep. Uh, The credit really goes to Jeff and Todd Laiwecki and Steve Griggs and all of our business people who have done a tremendous job over the years.
2: When you were a young kid growing up in the province of Quebec, did you ever think you'd be working in the National Hockey League?
4: Never crossed my mind. What did you want to do? I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, I don't know why, but I I know at least going as far back as being a fourth grader, a 10-year-old, knowing that I wanted to be a lawyer. That sounded to be L.A. law, on the news, prime ministers were former lawyers. (laughs) That sounds to be like a path towards success. So I knew I wanted to go to law school. Um, And when I was in law school, I thought I was going to be a tax attorney. I love working with numbers. I love numbers. Um, And then I was lucky enough to be hired at a really good firm, a national firm. uh, Ian and Blakey. Blakey. No longer exists, but it was a fabulous Mm -hmm. firm with... uh, very politically connected, uh, very strong labor law department. And luckily for me, they had contacts at the NHL level. And um, as I was applying for an articling position, they told me they wanted to start a sports law department. And they were looking for someone who's bilingual, who knew about sports, who could be a junior associate helping some of the partners developing a sports law department. And I got the job, and I started working in sports. I wasn't even looking to work in sports, just serendipity. (laughs) People talk about the NHL being a copycat league. Does the vision
2: for the management team and the scouting staff change after you see what St. Louis did last year and the way they played and
4: approached the playoffs? Um, I, I think probably the number one lesson is that, you know, where you are in the standings in January isn't that important. <laughs> no, there's still there's still runway uh, as long as you have a good team. I think the general consensus at the time was that St. Louis was a better team than their record, um, and... Uh, and, you know, it obviously worked out for them. The copycat league, I think we're always trying to learn from other organizations. Um, sometimes it's more obvious. Sometimes it's more subtle. But we're always looking at what the others are doing and trying to learn from them and, and make sure we don't fall behind.
2: You talk about numbers. We had a big contract signed earlier this week. Roman Yossi just signed a huge deal. You're seeing a lot of younger players coming out of entry level signing massive deals. Are you surprised that out of entry level so many guys are getting such long contracts at big
4: numbers I'm not because every organization is at a different point in their success cycle what they're trying to accomplish might be different Uh, their short-term mid-term long-term views of where that organization is or where it's going Is different from one organization to the next. So uh, sometimes I see contracts and I go, well, that makes a lot of sense for that organization to sign that player to that contract. Good for them. They did did some good work. It wouldn't work for us. And I'm sure some of the contracts we sign, other teams are going, oh, good for Tampa, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully that's what they're thinking. Uh, But it wouldn't work for us in our market for whatever reason because that's not where our organization is today. Uh, So everyone... Everyone works really hard. The other thing I mentioned earlier, you get to work with these other general managers and, and their assistant GMs, and, like, everyone's smart. Everyone's hardworking. Everyone's passionate. Everyone knows what they're doing. They're good at what they're doing. That's how they got there. Uh, and ultimately, they make the best decisions for their organization based on, again, the cards that they've been dealt, and we're all trying to do that.
2: Well, you're good at what you do. Thanks for taking the time. Have pleasure. Yeah. Really good visiting me. Thank you very Same much.
4: Here. Thank you.
0: All right, thanks Pierre. Great conversation there. We're going to be keeping an eye on the Lightning all this season. Uh, definitely a very talented team, a lot of offensive weapons, great defense, good goaltending, but uh it's been interesting to see what's happened so far. So, more to come on the Lightning, but guys, it's Halloween week. So, you can we're going to get into the yeah, yeah, like where's the costumes? <laughs> Trick or treat. Yeah, true. I, I personally didn't I don't love Halloween. I was always scared of everything growing I'm not up surprised. so. Yeah. And I never had any trick or treaters on my street. I grew up on a street my parents still live there 36 years. We've never had one single no trick or treater <laughs> That's
1: good. It's good for you. you well, long country
0: it. road. No one wanted to yeah. walk down the dark street to get to our house. So, um anyway, so we
1: put out like a jack. We did everything. Lantern, you know, my mom to this day still puts on, candy out. Come Nobody comes. <laughs> I
0: feel bad for her. It's like Leave a joke a light in our on family. For the kids no lights. Worried people like you show up.
3: Yeah, we can put that address on the box. Yeah, let's put
0: that. Out. Yeah. Uh, any fun prank stories, Sharpie? I'll start with you. Anything over the years playing hockey?
3: No real prank stories from Halloween. Halloween is—it uh, was always a fun event for the team, for for me anyway. That was always like our team bonding experience. End of October, first month of the season, two if you count training camp—and it was a good opportunity for all the guys and families to get together and and have some fun for once. And uh, my costumes were always. Built off comfort. Yeah, I was yeah. Saying,
0: did you have a favorite?
3: I was always the Top Gun dude. Uh, you know, I had the, <laughs> oh. the bomber suit, nice. one piece. It Habit was comfortable. Juice. Put some glasses Habit on. Juice. It could bounce around the bars in Chicago and, and get around comfortably. Uh, <laughs> the best costume I ever saw was in Dallas, two years in a row. Two different costumes. Cody Eakin, who is a great teammate as well. The second year, he was dressed up as Larry David. And he had full hair and makeup, oh, right, with wow. right, the bald head and all that. But the, the year previous to that, he was Conan O'Brien. And, of course, Eek says he He's the, got the red hair. The red hair. Oh, yeah. So he had a professional team, hair and makeup come in. And they caked oh, on about an inch or two of makeup on his face. And the next morning, Lindy had a practice, and Eek slept in, showed up oh. to the rink <laughs> six or seven minutes before practice. Oh, As he was coming to the rink, all the guys were going out in full equipment to the ice. He's still in full Conan O'Brien oh, gear, so awesome. quickly put his gear on and practiced as Conan O'Brien. That was probably one of the funniest Halloween things. That, that's an awful yeah. feeling <laughs> being oh, like, man. Feeling. oh
1: my god! And then funny. dressed up at the yeah. same time. It's
0: like you didn't just oversleep; you're pretty much continuing your night from last night at that yeah. point. <laughs> Jonesy, you're a prankster. I know you've got something. So
1: when when I was in Washington, I was thinking about this when you guys asked about it. Uh, Joe Juno was going to have the Halloween party. Always somebody has Mm -hmm. the party, right? And it's a big day. It's like everyone's all done up and the wives and the players. And uh, I was single at the time, and I had a buddy that was visiting from home. Uh, His name's Rich, right? So he was there. So we went and got these costumes. And while we're looking at these costumes, there's one that's just a mask, this guy with a mask. And you can't tell who's underneath this mask it's like impossible see, all, you see, see, all you can see all you can see is the <laughs> eyes you up. you'll understand this so <laughs> i picked that and i had these coveralls on i had a pair of work boots on right
0: or coveralls and, overalls is yeah, that yeah whatever okay. they are yeah so from, wanna, the, yeah
1: so I get to this party, and I don't speak. Like, there's no, you can't, I don't say a word. All I do, and he's got a d- costume on, where they wouldn't know that he was with me, even though they had met him before. So he just, I think he had like a, I don't even know what he had on his head, but you couldn't tell who it was. Anyway, I would stare at everybody, and it was a real creepy-looking <laughs> mass. He no like, was like an older man, and I mean, it was really bothersome to the wives, and I would just sit there, and I'd just look him right. Yeah. Down,
0: oh, you know? that's it, so It was weird. so bad,
1: right? This one, oh, this, but I never spoke. And no one knew that it was me, because there was a few other masks around, that, and uh, there was some unknown uh, people there under the mask. So anyway, Jim Johnson, who I play with, a former defenseman, not Jimmy Johnson from the Cowboys, but Jim Johnson, he had a similar type of outfit on, but different, and different pair of pants and a different pair of boots, but the same kind of a mask that you could—you had no idea who it was. So I see him, and I, I knew it was him, and I go, hey, come on. So we go upstairs and change. We, we flip the <laughs> flip. entire outfits, right? Oh, and gosh. none of us have spoken yet. So now I've got his whole deal on, even to the, sh- like, to the footwear. <laughs> so my buddy who's with me, I never said nothing to him either, right? So we're back down, and I'm doing the same type of thing. And all of a sudden, my buddy is beside me, right? And I've known him forever. And he looks, and now he doesn't realize it's me. He thinks I'm the, I'm the uh, Jim
0: Johnson Jim John
1: or whoever it was. Wearing. So, and Jim Jimmy Johnson's walking around with my mask on, doing the same stuff. And my buddy Rich is tapping me. He goes, "Hey, hey," he goes, "Hey," I go, "Mm-hmm," yeah, you know, he goes. <laughs> Look at this asshole! He says about me, and he's pointing at me, and I'm oh like, "My God, huh? Yeah." He's talking, and about he you. just says, that, "Look at him. He thinks he runs this party. He thinks it's all about himself." He says, Knowing well, that yes, that's
0: you, but it really wasn't no, you. no, not thinking that, yeah, you, thinking though. that's me
1: wandering oh around gosh. there, and he's <laughs> spilling the beans about all the things that I'm doing wrong in my life. It was unbelievable. So I said, finally, uh, someone asked me, they said, uh, "How did uh how did he find out it was you?" I said, "When I." I told him to go you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden sand. my voice comes out and his face was like ah <laughs> whoops oh yeah oh man that was that was something else
0: yeah, you're the treat. other funny
1: <laughs> halloween thing we had too was johnny vermont johnny leclerc when yeah. johnny leclerc had a few cocktails he became johnny vermont because okay. he could get a little crazy right so luke richardson we went keith primo had a uh, christmas party or a halloween party at his house so Luke Richardson got a Leclerc jersey, number 10, with the flyers on it. And on the back, he put across the nameplate, Johnny Vermont. Oh, and no. he wore one of them baseball hats with the two <laughs> beer cups yeah. on it. And he drank himself, like, all night long. And he drank crazy. more than he ever drank in his oh, life. My he gosh. was belligerent, and it was like, Johnny Vermont. There, Johnny kept looking over at it and shaking his head as he was looking at it. But that oh, was one man. of the more creative ideas yeah, that I for saw, sure. too. Not they a were good times. We Halloween up. parties are great. They, they come the... at a good time in the yeah. hockey season also. Early yeah. in the year, bring the guys together. For sure. Bring the families together fun. too,
0: right? You mentioned you know, all the wives go out. and the... So, Sharpie, yeah. you've got two little girls at home, though, so I know they're dressing up for Halloween this week.
3: Oh, yeah, we do multiple dress-ups with those two <laughs> girls. They, did, uh, they got some deer costumes. I think that's more my wife, Abby. She wants to look cute in a Halloween outfit, so the three girls are going to go as a set of deer, and uh, they're all about the Disney characters these, these days, so... Halloween night will be patrolling the Chicago area. With a bunch of uh, descendants, I guess yeah, it is.
0: Descendants.
1: Have a good haul, or
3: will be we'll Get some candy. good candy. We live on a good street. Yeah, yeah, you probably good. don't have
0: to go around the street. Like, I used to have to twice. drive
3: to the
1: good street.
0: <laughs> That's what me, I did <laughs> too. Yeah. See, there and you people go. like you in the creepy masks yeah. are the reason why. I did don't anyone like ever Halloween? cut the
1: bottom of the bag? We were as a kid. That happened in our no. but It was terrible.
0: It's just mean. Stole all
1: yeah. my grew up in a rough.
0: Yeah,
1: it might have been me. but I don't. It
0: explains a lot, though, doesn't it, Sharpie? Yeah. All right. Chip on his shoulder. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or On that spaces. note,
0: that's <laughs> good. Yeah, that's going to wrap up our another episode of Our Line Starts. Patrick Sharp, well done. Thank you. We're going to bring you back another time. Uh, remember, a new episode drops every Wednesday throughout the hockey season. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for automatic downloads, and we're going to see you next time. Enjoy.